Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, with all the crazy things going on in the world, and uh, especially in the Middle East, I thought it'd be good to uh, do a high-level review of what to expect in the last days. I call this lesson, Really Crazy Days. Let's get started. And then will come to pass the days spoken of by Jesus and the prophets of old, the days of Jacob's trouble. Now look at Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 for that. After the church has been safely ensconced in heaven, after the Spirit of God steps aside in this world, all hell will be unleashed, quite literally. This, I believe, will be the time when our own dear country tumbles into calamity. Though liberal economists and historical revisionists may differ with me, when I study carefully the history of this land, I cannot help but see the hand of God at work in making it great. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, the ancient king of Babylon, who walked on its walls and felt such pride in what he thought to be his own accomplishment, we should recognize America's national power at this critical time in history as most definitely a work of God's grace for quite a while. Amid the hypocritical animosity of the other 187 nations of the UN, no other country stands with Israel. To be sure, the U.S. has an overflowing cup of sin to account for as well, but as long as the true and sincere church is present in our land and our national posture is supportive of Israel, well, we can hope for the mercy and blessings of God. But the time is nearly upon us when all of that will change. You see, much to the disappointment of, may I say, patriotic Christianity, America is not mentioned even indirectly in Scripture as playing a role during the tribulation time. That is, during the last seven years of this age of history, also known as the 70th prophetic week of Daniel's chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, the players are named in the Bible and quite clearly identified, but our country is simply not. Now, to our natural minds, that is quite startling. No land in history has possessed such economic, technological, or military might. And consider our at least historical godly heritage, probably not today. But unless the scripture is veiling its mention in some prophetic imagery, we simply do not see it involved. With our posture as supportive as it is of Israel, this doesn't seem logical. Some Bible scholars have suggested that a nuclear conflict will be the reason for this seeming disappearance, or should I say lack of mention, of the U.S. from the prophetic stage of the last days. Certainly, there are enough enemies and available weaponry in the world to make this a credible possibility. But based in part upon the story of Sodom's destruction in Genesis 19, and upon what the Apostle Peter says 
in 2 Peter 2, 6-9, and many other scriptural indicators, I'm inclined to believe that, like Lot in Sodom, we'll be gone, the believers, that is, physically taken out of the way before that occurs. Others have asserted that a devastating economic failure will leave us in such a strong isolationist mindset that we'll fail to be involved in the events of the Middle East or of prophetic consequence. Surely that's possible as well. However, there are enough sincere Christians in this land that I'm convinced that our disappearance in the rapture will devastate every functional aspect of the nation. As a consequence, I believe that for a period of time, the country will, in effect, cease to function. Unchecked sin and ubiquitous turmoil will consume her. Then, without a meaningful alliance with the U.S., Israel will be seemingly defenseless. But Scripture says that they will also be experiencing an overall sense of security. Now, perhaps as a result of winning a regional war against her neighbors and the regional terrorists, perhaps as a result of a masterful piece of negotiation. We may be here to see it or not, but something will happen to make the Jews in Israel feel relatively safe. Check out Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 10 through 12. Here's what prophecy scholar Jack Kinsella wrote about this I find very interesting. He said, Given the current situation in the Middle East, some kind of confirmation of a seven-year agreement, like Oslo, is an absolute necessity, either to prevent all-out war or at the conclusion of any such war. Bible prophecy says it will happen. The Bible also says it begins a time of judgment against Israel and the Gentile world. The church was already judged at the cross. Here's what it all means, boiled down into a single sentence. At some point before that treaty is signed, Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel, and all those who have placed their faith in Christ will be snatched away to be forever with Christ. This treaty could happen at almost any moment, and that means the rapture of the church is even closer. Then, during this ensuing period of seeming security, the Russian-led invasion mentioned before in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will take place. Now, I, along with many others, am expecting that this invasion and the Antichrist's rise to power will occur near the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period for several reasons. Here they are. 1. Ezekiel 39, verse 9 says that the victorious Jews will burn the weapons of the invading armies for seven years, the length of the tribulation. 2. The Antichrist will be known for a significant seven-year covenant that probably enables the Jews to build their temple and begin sacrificial worship. You can see Daniel chapter 9, 27. Number 3. The Antichrist seems to become famous as a military genius, for the people will refer to him saying, quote, Who can make war with the beast? You can see Revelations 13.4 for that. So to the people he appears to be, invincible militarily, even against overwhelming odds, 
as are described in Ezekiel 38. Number four, although it is clearly the Lord who miraculously delivers Israel out of this terrible conflict, it is observably Satan's style to deceive, to unworthily take credit for what God has done, and to blame God for what he has done. His proxy is justly called Antichrist, which means literally in place of Christ. 5. In Revelation chapter 6, right after the church is seen in heaven, chapter 5, we see the immediate release of the Antichrist, who, looking quite regal and like a good guy, riding the white horse, goes forth specifically to conquer. Right behind him are the personifications of war, famine or economic repression, and death. So it's clear that once the church is gone, evil events transpire quite quickly. In any event, with America's power seriously abated and sinful behavior rampant and unchecked, it's reasonable to expect that the Jewish people in Israel will be in danger of immediate worldwide attack. What Satan wanted to do through Hitler, the Inquisition, Haman, see the book of Esther, and others, he will try to do again, that is, eliminate the Jewish people, all in a vain attempt to thwart God's plan. But this time, it would seem that even Satan may have learned something that is a direct assault on all the Jews, have never resulted in their annihilation. It's the same thing he attempted to do to the early church. So instead, he's going to join them. That is, it's quite possible that he'll pretend to be their long-awaited Messiah, fulfilling their perspectives, I said their perspectives, of some of the Messianic scriptures. And for a while, they'll receive him. Jesus said to the Jews, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. John 5, 43. Now his act will be very convincing. He'll appear to be awesome in battle, bring a temporary peace, provide a means of constructing a new temple in Jerusalem, do signs and wonders, even overcome a deadly wound. But then... Sometime near the middle of his seven-year period there, he'll demand to be worshipped and will seek to kill the remnant or minority of Jews and Gentiles who don't toe that line. Yet, although the scripture calls him the son of perdition, he won't act like some Lex Luthor, remember Superman, or carry a pitchfork and no no red tights either. On the contrary, he will appear very messianic, a charismatic leader, and an apparent good guy, an angel of light, so to speak. He'll come on the scene quite suddenly and subdue three significant leaders. Rising rapidly to global prominence, he'll speak boastfully against all gods, that's little g-gods, as well as our Lord, the one true God. Well, sounds crazy, huh? Well, it will be. Crazy days indeed. 
But the good news is that we who are saved by sincere faith and the death and resurrection of the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, don't need to be looking for the Antichrist. Jesus told us to watch for his own coming, not Satan's front man. In fact, he was emphatic about it. Speaking of his return for the church, he said, quote, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, that's spiritually. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.